This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When we do, Lord, we look to you as our teacher, as our Savior, the one who loves us, and uh, help us understand this morning your scriptures in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, we're gonna be continuing in this uh, very important parable that the Lord spoke here about a marriage, a wedding. So uh, Matthew 22, we'll just read the first few verses here uh, to get a context, and we're really gonna be centering on verses six or 13, but we'll start with verse one to get the full picture. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden. Behold, I prepared my dinner, my ox and my fatlings are killed. All things are ready come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways and one to to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. He sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, 
but few are chosen. Okay, now in this section, the Lord Jesus is still speaking. We gotta remember, he's still speaking to his enemies that he encountered in the last chapter. He's gonna keep on speaking to them all the way through chapter 25. This is an ongoing discourse here. And now the Lord is speaking to his enemies through this parable. It's a precious parable because it's a parable that on the surface, it's about a king's son, a boy who's taking to himself a bride. Great. But what makes this parable so precious is that it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ taking to himself a bride, and the bride is his people, the church. So what the Lord Jesus is talking about in this parable is very precious to him, very dear to him, just as dear as to a man when he speaks about his preciousness and the dearness of his wife. This is speaking right out of Revelation 21.9, Revelation 21.9, which says, come hither and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. It's speaking right out of Ephesians 5.23, Ephesians 5.23, where it says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. And then Ephesians 5.25, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, Love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loved his wife loved himself. See, these are precious subjects. These are precious, very intimate, very personal subjects about a husband loving his wife as his own body, a husband giving himself wholly for his wife, a husband washing and cleansing his wife, a husband adorning his wife so that he can present her to himself in all of her beauty. Very personal, very intimate subjects that the Lord Jesus is alluding to in this parable as he speaks through the symbolism of a marriage of a king's son. And he's saying all of this to his enemies. He's saying all of this to the men who are plotting his death and they're going to accomplish that goal. He's referring to his marriage in this parable to his enemies, he's talking to the ones who want to slit his throat? And the question is, why would he be talking about his marriage to them? With this parable, he's looking forward to his marriage. His enemies are saying, wedding, marriage? No wedding and marriage, funeral. That was the headline on the Israeli newspaper this last week on the report of, the, um, of uh, Barack Lufan, who was an Olympic uh, kayaker, who was killed in the Tel Aviv attack by the terrorists. Barack Lufan was planning on getting married to his fiancee, and the headline that announced his death read, a funeral and not a wedding. As Christ's enemies listen to Christ alluding through this parable to his wedding to the church, they're thinking they'd want a funeral, not a wedding. So why was he bearing his heart to these murderers who were talking about his wedding to the church? The reason is because just who he is. He looks at his enemies and he loves them. He looks at his enemies, he prays for them. This is the Lord who prays in Luke 
23:34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He prayed for the people as they were gambling away his last possessions on earth, his clothes. And they were aiming, and now he's talking to these people and they're aiming to kill him. He's aiming to save them. And to save them because he said in Luke 9:56, Luke 9:56, he says, the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He doesn't wanna destroy them. Now the Lord Jesus speaks here in this verse six of a remnant. This was a remnant on the far side, and it's not the whole of the people, it's a remnant, because as far as the whole of the people go, that was the verse before, in verse five, the whole of the people, they are described as they made light of it, of the invitation come to the wedding, the king's invitation. It says they made light of it, they went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. You know, there are some phrases in the old English of the King James, and in case you didn't notice, I love the King James, but there's some phrases in the old age that are just so expressive, and this is one of them. In verse five, they made light of it. They made light of it. And when you think about it, God's servants make heavy of it. They make heavy the gospel as God's servants make heavy Romans 3.23, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the lost make light of Romans 3.23 by saying, no, no one's perfect. God's servants make heavy Romans 6.23, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The lost make light of Romans 6.23 by saying, everyone dies, so what else is new? God's servants make heavy Revelation 2015. Revelation 2015 says, whosoever was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But the lost, they make light of Revelation 2015 by saying, I'll be there in the lake of fire with all my friends. God's servant make heavy 1 Corinthians 15.3. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. But the lost make light of this. 1 Corinthians 15.3 by saying, I don't need anyone to die for my sin. I'll answer to God for my own sins. So this is the majority. They hear, they make light of it, and then they go on their business with two words, two words that they say as they go away from hearing the gospel, and the two words are, not now, not now. They see their present obligations, what they gotta do, their farm, their business, much more important than them becoming religious. So they go on with, not now, maybe later. That really means never. So Jesus Christ wants the truths, these truths to be heavy as a stone that sinks down deep into the waters of our ears. When he said in Luke 9.44, Luke 9.44, let these things sink down into your ears for the Son of Man shall be betrayed, delivered into the hands of men. So he calls the truth, Christ calls the truth, something that has to sink down to your ears. And that will not happen if a person makes light of the truth. And that's what the majority do today. The majority of people, they make light of the truths of sin and judgment and salvation. And that's the majority. But then there's two remnants on either side of the majority. There's a remnant over here and there's a remnant over here. First, there's the remnant that does not make light 
of the gospel truth. And that's the remnant of Romans 9.27, Romans 9.27. A remnant shall be saved. That saved remnant have made the gospel truth heavy to sink down deep into their ears. And just as there's a remnant on this side that take seriously and believe themselves into Jesus Christ, there's an opposite remnant on the other side, which is the one we're reading about in verse six. Verse six, the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Now, why does this remnant on this side attack God's servant so viciously? He said in John 15, 18, John 15, 18, Jesus said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's because they hate Jesus Christ and therefore they hate the servants of Jesus Christ. They see the servants of Jesus Christ as chosen. As he said, I've chosen you out of the world, chosen to be saved, chosen to not be destroyed. And they say, if I'm gonna be destroyed, then I'm gonna make sure that they are the servants of Jesus Christ are destroyed. Now he tells us about this king who was, when this happened, was infuriated. And he sent his armies and destroyed the murderers and burned up the city in verse seven. Verse seven, when the king heard thereof, he was wroth and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. It all happened in 70 AD. The armies came in, the Roman armies under Titus, and they burned Jerusalem. Isn't it strange that when he's telling this parable here, He's talking about the king's armies went out. Isn't it strange to see that the Roman armies are implied to be God's armies? So judgment fell, but it was not what the king wanted to do. The king was forced into it because of what the remnant, the evil remnant did to his messengers. And he was very angry when the people made light of his invitation to come to the wedding of his son, but... Even with that, he was patient. He was waiting for the people to calm down. The king was waiting at that point like the father of the prodigal son who was waiting for this golden time in Luke 15, 17. Luke 15, 17, when it says about the prodigal son, it says, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and despair and I perish with hunger? That's such a beautiful statement in Luke 15, 17. He came to himself. He came to himself because it shows that his life of high rolling with prostitutes and wild living was not really himself. It was like the prodigal son had left himself, went into that life, and it was like he had checked out of himself. And then after enough time in the pig pen, and after enough time of being starved and after enough time of being utterly humiliated, the prodigal son came home inside the prodigal son. He came back to where he knew he should be. And that's the beauty of this phrase, he came to himself. It's really a very thought-provoking statement that the prodigal came to himself with an implication that the prodigal son had to first come home inside of himself before he ever physically came home to where his father was. And the father of the prodigal son, he saw 
that his son had come back home to himself before he walked up that driveway back home. The father of the prodigal son was so excited that he cut off his son from making his prepared speech. He didn't allow it to go on he, about how he had sinned against God and how it sinned against him before he could even get the words out of his mouth. The father is ordering a robe to be put on his back and a ring to be put on his finger and a fatted calf to be put in the oven. He's so overjoyed, the father. And that's the way it is for when one sinner comes to himself. That's the way it is when one sinner comes home inside of himself and then turns to God with those three words that are the key for God opening up this great outpouring of grace and mercy, and those three words are just simply, I have sinned. And that's what the king was hoping the people that he invited, that refused to come, would do after that first terrible response in verse three of they would not come. And the king was patient, and God is patient with that first response, and the king says, okay, okay, let's give them some time for the people to come to themselves and say those three golden words, I have sinned, and then we can get on with the wedding celebration for my son. And that's where God is also. God is also, God is patient with sinners. He's waiting there like the father of the prodigal son. He's waiting there like the king. There's no jumping to judgment here. There's just the waiting, the patient waiting for the turnaround, the coming to self, the repentance. But during this time, the king was not just doing nothing he sent out other servants, and that was the beauty of that word again in verse four. God says again and again and again, tell them. This is all of what Isaiah 28.9 is about. Isaiah 28.9, where God says, whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. That's why I really love to go down to the Del Mar Fair with the Child Evangelism Fellowship and teaching the children because that's how God looks at us. It's not my mistake that God calls the Jewish people the children of Israel. It's for a reason, because we, they, us, all need to be taught like children. So that's why God asked this question, Isaiah 28.9. Isaiah 28.9, he says, whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? You know, those are two questions God's saying, let's see now. We wanna teach knowledge. We wanna teach doctrine. So how are we gonna teach knowledge and doctrine? And then God says, I know. I know exactly who we are going to teach knowledge and doctrine to. I got it. God says, and then he explains to us how He's gonna teach the people when he says in Isaiah 28, 9, Isaiah 28, 9, oh, it's them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. How old is a person when he's weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast? Well, that depends on the person. For me, I was only two weeks old when I was weaned, which explains why I'm so maladjusted in life. <laughs> but for my son Joshua, he was three years old, going on four. The only reason Cheryl ever stopped nursing him is because in public one time he came up to her and lifted up her blouse and she said, okay, that's enough. But that's the model that God holds up for the method of teaching doctrine and knowledge a three or four-year-old. And God says the method has to be 
Isaiah 28.10, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. The method is repetition. Repeat, 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 a little here, a little there, like with children, not a lot at one time, but a little at one time. Don't overwater the plants. Just give as much water as the ground can absorb. And that's what the king had in mind with the word again in verse four. Let's invite them again. And the emphasis in verse four is on this word ready. All things are ready. The king had done everything. The king said in verse four, come, all things are ready, come. And we can see how excited the king is was to be able to say that, that everything has been prepared, everything's ready. If anyone said, whoa, what can I bring to the wedding? Shall I bring the salad? Shall I bring the meat? Shall I bring the dessert? And the king would answer, no, the salad is already prepared. The meat is ready and the dessert's all set. All you have to do is just bring yourself. Everything else has been prepared and all things are ready. That's like when God calls a person to come to Jesus Christ and the person says, oh, I cannot come alone. I gotta bring with me a whole set of good works to impress you, God. And God says, no, just come just as you are without one plea, except that the blood was shed for me. God says, just come, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, O Lamb of God I come. But the response of the next set of the king's messengers was that they made light of the king's invitation, they just, they mocked, they joked, they said, I have more important things to do, I'm too busy for you, God. And then the small remnant took the servants and hurt them and even killed them, and then the king says, okay, that's it. I've reached my limit of patience, and he broke through in judgment, and God's patience has a limit, there's a limit. And after the judgment fell, then we get to see further the real heart of the king. The king didn't walk away from that and, and say, well, I feel good now to have destroyed my enemies and I'm going home now and I, we'll just forget about having this wedding celebration for my son. It all didn't work out the way I planned it. I'm just gonna dismantle all the preparations for the wedding. And when Jesus Christ came to the house of Israel and the house of Israel rejected him and made it clear they wanted nothing to do with him, Christ did not give up building his church. As a matter of fact, he said in Matthew 16, 18, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Even if those gates of hell took on the shape of chief priests, scribes, and Pharisees, those gates of hell were not gonna stop Jesus Christ from building his church. And that's why the king now turns to the servants and gives them a brand new commission. In verse nine, in verse nine, he says, go ye therefore into the highways and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So here we see flexibility on the part of the king. Here we say the king didn't say, well, that's it. Because the first group didn't respond to my invitation that I just lost heart, I'm not gonna get hurt again. And so, no. And we can feel in these words of the king here in verse nine, an excitement in his voice as he says, go you therefore into the highways. He's excited because the king has regrouped, the king has picked himself up, the king has a new vision, many highway people coming off the highways into the king's banquet hall for the wedding of the son. And the king doesn't know these highway people, but the king is so flexible that he says, I'll get to know them. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.